0: Hi, I'm Daniel Budai, and this is The Ecom Show, a podcast where you can learn more about the world of high-performing e-commerce players and marketers. The show is brought to you by the team of Budai Media. Let's grow your e-commerce business together. Hey everyone, here is Daniel with another episode of The Ecom Show, and today... I will talk with Mark Milutin. He's the owner of Breadloaf, And uh, actually, it's not a secret that we are friendly competitors. Uh, we are both uh, e-commerce retention marketing focused. Um, he's based in uh, California, uh, while we are based uh, more in Europe. And uh, both of our teams, uh, they are remote teams. But uh, more about Mark, so... He tried uh, many different businesses in the last 10, 15 years. He, uh, he was in the wine business. He worked for an agency as an employee. Um, he, he does consulting type of work and uh, he runs this agency as well. So he tried many different business models. Um, he even ran his own uh, e-commerce business actually. So he tried many different business models and uh, we just got connected a few months ago. Uh, he's an amazing guy, and uh, today we will share our our experiences, how it's look, it look, it is, it looks like uh, to work with uh, e-commerce clients, and uh, how um, their retention marketing uh, can be taken to the next level, even in Q1. So stay tuned and uh, enjoy this episode. Uh, hey everyone, here is uh, Daniel Budai with another episode of the Ecom Show. And uh, today I'm here with Mark Milutin, uh, who is from the remote California, at least it's remote. It's very distant for a European. Um, And uh, actually, we do quite similar things, our businesses. Um, He also uh, runs a uh, retention marketing email, SMS, messenger focused uh, agency. So as far as I know, we are competitors, but... uh, Many of my healthy, competition, are... healthy competition
1: healthy <laughs> <laughs> competition.
0: I have many friends who are my competitors and I don't mind. i I, I like that. It's a friendly competition. Um, yep. so so yeah, I just invited him today uh, in our last uh, live stream. Uh, hey, Darren, I can see your comment. Um, I met uh, Darren. Uh, I think two years ago in Boston at the Clavio conference. Uh, so, yeah, we know a lot of female guys, e-commerce guys, and I think it's a very friendly community. It's great. Um, so, so, yeah, today with Mark, we will just share our experiences. It will be a very casual talk, and uh, the podcast will come out a few weeks from now. So maybe let's start with your story, Mark. Um, so tell us more. I guess you... When you were born, you didn't say to your mom that I want to be an email marketer. Or, <laughs> no, up. not at
1: all. I want to be a lifeguard and a firefighter. That was my goal when I was a kid. Yeah. But uh, yeah, thank you, Daniel, for having me on the on the show today. Really excited to just get to talk with another uh, retention expert and uh, get to maybe talk about you know how Q4 ended and maybe some of the things that we're looking uh, at for the beginning of the year and for Q1. 2021 uh, yeah. because what's in the past is in the past and and now it's looking at what does the next 90 days look like but going into my background i actually started in e-commerce back in 2009 um, and, and even before that i was building websites and doing some design work and just always pretty entrepreneurial my whole life uh-huh. I, when i was a kid i used to be i used to be selling everything from cookies to wrapping paper so lemons around my neighborhood. So always been very entrepreneurial. And then when I was in college and starting to hear about this whole e-commerce thing, that's getting super popular, I was like, I want a piece of it. And I actually started my first e-commerce venture back in 2009, which was called Calco's wine club. And it was an e-commerce, uh, wine club and wine store. And so my whole theory was you have these big wine clubs that have like been around forever that most of them were advertising in the back of magazines. And it's like, join this wine club, get these deals, get this and that. But what I realized is a lot of that wine was really crummy wine. It was not very good. And I was going to school up in San Luis Obispo, Cal- in um, Central Coast of California. I was an ag business major and a uh, minor in wine and bit. And I was learning a lot about the wine industry. I was working at wineries in the tasting rooms and managing tasting rooms up there, and the direct consumer channels, and then also working in the vineyards during the week with uh, you know, majoring in ag biz and minoring wine and vit. And what I was learning through all of this was, oh my God, like there's this massive opportunity right now. All of these small mom and pop wineries are all getting online, and uh, and they all want a subscription side of their of their business, right? And how do they do it? They sell subscriptions in the wine clubs, and sorry, in their in their tasting room. And everything we did in the tasting room when I was managing and working is like, how do we get people a really great experience to get them to join? And I was like, this is a good opportunity. But at the end of the day, like no one can be a member of like 10, 15 wine clubs. Right. That's what I was hearing over and over was like, I'm a member of so and so and so already. And I like your wine, but I, I, I you know, I don't want to quit this and that. And so what I realized is, hey, there's this opportunity, all of these wineries that are doing a couple thousand cases to 50 to 100,000 cases a year. And they uh, you know, they all have a wine club, but not everyone wants to join. So that was my thesis. It was like, hey, I'm going to take those key learnings. I'm going to build a wine club of all these boutique wineries and then cut really good deals and then build a business that way. And did it, and it was really, really hard. And I was moonlighting the business while I was also working as a producer for big ad. it handful of different ad agencies throughout LA um, in everything from automotive to fashion to CPG in experiential and digital and, and uh, traditional. So I had a lot of experience like working in advertising. And at the same time I was learning direct response marketing and learning how to manage my own e-commerce business. So did that for five and a half years and was just honestly burned out of the wine industry and wanted something different. And uh, and it was because I was in the wrong business. I was in a business that had low margin, was mm. a lot of compliance issues, and uh, also shipping costs were super high. And I was like, I'm doing all these great things. I'm just not in a good business, right? And unless you're Gary V and you're starting off the family that already has a wine a wine store mm-hmm. and you can just throw fire on it, like I don't suggest going out and starting a wine club. And At the same yeah. time, Club W was like the same size as me back in 2010, and uh, which is now the biggest wine club in the world. And uh, they had to raise a lot of money and sell their soul to actually grow that way. And I had a partner that didn't really, under, you know, didn't really understand raising money at the time. And and uh, we weren't that season. So that was my background in that helped. Um, went off to help a couple friends start a growth marketing agency called Stealth Venture Labs, came on as one of the first employees, director of operations there, and uh, grinded it out in the agency world and ended up leaving, just trying to find out what I wanted to do with my life and then five and a half years ago, started Bread Loaf. And here we are. Uh, we got our office based out of LA and we have a European office, not too far from you, just uh, right on oh, really? of, the of Ukraine. Yeah. So we got oh, another office. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of how we're set up since COVID started. Our whole US team has pretty much gone remote. People have moved back East, yeah. back home, and it's been a really, really good flexible lifestyle for us. And, like I said, we primarily focus on a lot of the same things that you guys do: retention, lifecycle marketing, and then we also do have a development team and a creative studio, and uh, we do run some paid as well. But we we love to do the retention work. If if I could just have you know 100 clients doing that, uh, I would be a happy man. And uh, through this last year, we actually started a coaching program um, for small direct consumer brands that are doing. You know, a couple thousand to fifty, sixty thousand dollars a month. And that's called Brand Marketer. And uh, that's something that we launched in our partnerships with Shopify and the master classes we've been doing with them. And uh, that's a way for brands to be able to work with us. They can't work with us on the agency end. So I know I've yeah. been talking, but that's a little background
0: on me. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. It was very yeah. insightful. Uh, yeah. Just a few notes about wine industry. Um, I have a friend here in Hungary. Um, actually, Hungarian wines. I think they have a very bad marketing, but the wine is amazing. It, it, it it's really, yeah. It's it, it's yes. similar to French, Italian, Spanish. It's very high quality. I I also like it, uh, but I think their marketing is not good just in general. They are not popular in the world. I just know yeah. that. But um, I I know a guy uh, who who's in this business with uh, his family, and in Hungary we have a saying. Um, if you are a billionaire but you want to go and become a millionaire from a billionaire then go into the wine industry yeah we have the same Uh,
1: saying in the u.s it's like how do you make a million dollars in the wine industry you start with 10
0: yeah yeah yeah, exactly yeah i think something similar here so yeah it's tough it's tough um for sure and i think in the us the states have different regulations uh, yeah it's
1: it's interesting because you know every state has not you can't ship in every state even still in 2020 you can't mm. ship in every you can't ship wine in every state and uh-huh. then what what makes it complicated is that every state has its own wine compliant shipping laws some mm. of them say you can only ship so many liters or gallons of wine to an individual person with an individual you know time for that could be either a month, three months, a year. Mm-hmm. Super complicated and yeah. bureaucratic. And a lot of these states also require you to get a permit or a license and then also uh-huh. pay taxes. So now let's say you're in 35 different states, 35 out of the 50 states in the US, right? You're selling yeah. your wine there. You have to yeah. have 35 different licenses
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you have to pay taxes in 35 different states on 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 like it's it's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. So I, I just I really have a have a part of my heart for everyone that's in the wine industry because everyone that's in it is very, very passionate who loves it. But if you're like me and like I'm passionate about making money and like growing businesses, yeah. and what I realize is like I don't want to be in any market that has brick tape. You know, yeah. it's like you know, we, we work with a, quite a few CBD and some cannabis accessory brands as well. And it's the same thing. It's like, there's so much red tape. I honestly love markets that are growing and that have opportunities, but no red tape in it where we could just apply all the best practices, follow all the rules and get results.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's tough and it's a very regulated industry. So yeah. Um, so yeah, let's talk more about the your, your agency. I'm just curious how many uh, people uh, you have at the moment, and uh, I guess you are fully remote because of COVID. Yeah. Um, and and, and what's, what do you do exactly? Um, yeah, for sure. So we,
1: you know, on the right now, the way our team set up is is uh, we have, like I said, we have our do have, we have our European team just outside of Kiev, Ukraine, the capital. And that whole team is in the office. They actually really enjoy working in the office there and everything's self-controlled to be able to isolate. Uh, in the US, we, had our, we have our office actually in Los Angeles and it's a half office, half production studio because we do do some ongoing creative work and some creative special projects. We shoot, produce, edit, post-production, do, do the, whole, the whole thing. Um, for select clients, and we we only pretty much work off of referrals and our existing client base. We don't really like to do that. It has to be the right opportunity. Um, but you know, the way our team set up is on every project that we're working for on the retention end, we have a strategist, we have a copywriter, we have a lead designer, then we have a campaign manager, and then we have a campaign build out kind of campaign build out manager slash like reporting analyst, and so. Uh-huh every project and essentially has five people working on it. And what we usually do is we're planning out anywhere from 60 to 90 days in advance and like challenging our clients to think of what is your campaign calendar going to look like over the next 60 to 90 days. So right, right now, similar to what you guys do is like, you're like, let's vision and let's start looking at what's happening. You know, we've got Valentine's day coming up on February 14th in the States. Right. This is yep. the time to start getting your Valentine's Day campaigns rolling and get those live by mid January so you can run them for 2-3 weeks and still have time to ship. So what we do is we're we're always looking first what's the baseline Hallmark calendar look like? You know, where's the holidays? Where's the special times of the year that we can really give a good opportunity to sell stuff. Then we start looking at where is the product launch calendar, right? Like what products are in motion to be launched? And this really gets our clients thinking well in advance and lets us do some pre-promotion, and some hype emails and and potentially even some exclusive pre-launches for those products, which has been really helpful. And, uh, from there, we also fill fill out with content features. Like how do we build good, engaging content? Um, that's getting the calendar in order, but we've realized through doing a lot of planning well in advance, it makes our clients or Carter earlier instead of being last minute. Oh, I need photos for this, or I need a product description, or I need an idea on the offer. We start building out what that campaign calendar looks like. Um, most of our clients were sending two to four campaigns. a week. That's kind of like, depending on the size of, of where they're at two to four campaigns and then we're optimizing one to two automation flows at a given time. And uh, then we also layer on SMS and for some clients, messenger as well, um, where they, where it sees fit. Um, SMS has been just an amazing channel like over the last year and a half uh, for a lot of our clients. And it's really helped with some significant growth As you know, Facebook has gotten more expensive and you know, there's such thing as iOS updates. I think, uh, it always goes back to the owned media is always the most valuable asset. I always ask any, when I start a presentation, I'm, i always start off. And when I'm talking with a new opportunity, I'm like, mm-hmm. what do you think is the most valuable asset in your business? If someone wanted to buy your business tomorrow, what's the most valuable asset? Yeah. And they're like, I don't know. I think it's my product. I think it's me. I think it's my brand. <laughs> it's like, no, it's not. The one thing that anyone's looking at when they're going to buy your business, is how big's your customer list? How big's your subscriber list? What's your average order value? What's your lifetime value? Those are yeah. the things that people care about. What's your repeat purchase rate? They don't care about your brand. They really don't. They don't care how pretty your logo is at all. A brand is a byproduct of success and, a, and showing success is actual sales and actual numbers. So that's what I like to preach overall is like, what we, you and I are both doing is not only um, generating short-term revenue, right? Revenue today, tomorrow, next week, in the past, but we're also building a lot of value in the business. We're building that customer list, we're building that subscriber list, we're building out the infrastructure that's helping run this engine. So if there is ever an issue with Facebook or Google or YouTube or whatever it is, there's always gonna be a problem by the way, There's never those platforms are not stable. They they can't be reliant upon. Um, you're always gonna have your list. You're always gonna have your your email addresses, your phone numbers, and your customers' actual physical address. Yeah. Like those are really powerful things. One thing that we've been diving into more of is direct mail, is we ran some direct rail pieces like for a few clients pre-Black Friday to be like. We're running a Black Friday sale starting on this date. We're getting you early access to it, so you get access to all of the best products before they sell out. And we say, you know how they're going to sell out, especially for fat, for for apparel, fashion, and footwear brands. Like the customers know that their size might be gone because there's limited inventory. So we can play off the scarcity. So yeah, I mean that that's what I preach, and and what I'm what I'm always saying is like we are a results-driven team. That's all I care about. I want to produce great copy. I want to produce a great experience for my custo- for my customers to work with me, uh, because we are in the communication business. And, and I want to produce great creative. But at the end of the day, what's most important to
0: me is the results. That's all I care yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so on our side, I think we, we, we are also very results driven. And let me share a story here. I just told uh, this to Mark before this call. Uh, So it's not a secret that marketing is about testing and you cannot always, uh, how to say, like, uh, you know, generate amazing results after a few days. Many times it happens and then we are very happy. But uh, we just uh, had a client um, where um, after two weeks, two, three weeks, we couldn't really hit the numbers. And the guy was, you know, not too happy, the owner um, but he's a great guy and it's a great store. So I just told him that, okay, then uh, we can set the expectations again, what to shoot for and we can do uh, f- you know some extra work and then uh, let's hit the results. And uh, end of the day, we also just care about the results. So um, I think we will send out some extra campaigns for them and then see what will happen. Um, but we want to see our clients succeed and uh you know end of the day this is what matters for us um so so yeah i think it's amazing to work with results oriented people um not with someone who really who cares only about the logo or or nice design of course it counts especially if you are a big brand but yeah. still um yeah results uh, and and numbers uh, the results are
1: always the number one thing i you know it's like I'm sure you know, as you work with some clients that think that moving an image five pixels to the right is going to be the difference between a couple thousand dollars or the difference between specific copy. What applies, what's most important is the best practices, right? It's making sure you have the right call to action, the right messaging, the right flow of the email, the right link structure, everything's tested, the right subject line, there's continuity on what someone's seeing. In their inbox on the email page and on the website in email we're selling clicks like we are selling a click you don't need to build out a landing page right Um, yeah it's not about giving everyone all the information they need it's giving them enough to get them to the website and getting them to make a purchase right so
0: Um, yeah and also uh, we are talking about clients and mindset so um, do you have uh, experiences when the client um, ideally, a client should think long term and the agency as well, I think. Uh, but uh, you know, there are e-commerce people who are just starting out with e-commerce or or they don't have an unlimited budget, like you know, many of them. So what's wh- what's your experience? Uh, could you talk with clients who who think too short term in your opinion? One example, Um, and sometimes it happens, is um, that they want to generate nice revenue from campaigns and flows, um, and they don't really care about the inbox rate. They want to email the whole list without sending emails to smaller segments before. And we always have to explain that we have to warm up the list and uh, the Klaviyo account and everything, and then we can send more promotions and more emails to to bigger segments i think this is one example but what's your experience with this short-term long-term thinking and educating clients
1: yeah absolutely client education is a big thing right and i think what happens sometimes is clients think that they're going to hire an agency and they're just going to like be there to push the agency around and be like i'm hiring you to do the work you do what i want you to do. it's like you're hiring us as experts to do the work listen to us look at us as a coach not as a servant or, or an employee, right like we need to, we need to challenge the client like sometimes I've, I've gotten into arguments with clients about things like you're not sending enough emails. you're not doing this right. like it's it's the cold, hard truth, right? Someone needs to say it. and I think there's a level of respect that always needs to be had, right? There's yeah. a way to communicate and uh, things need to be said the right way. you know, Every once in a while we run into a situation where client is like the the way that they're they're communicating with my team especially mm-hmm. with my creative team about creative work when yeah. is not the right way to be communicated with someone and I have to have a conversation with them and I'm like this is someone who is performing creative work for you you need to if you're going to give any feedback it needs to be constructive because that person is working with you and is trying to con- is trying to do their best job, right? So there's a way to communicate with creative people, right? To make sure things get done. There's a way to communicate with clients. There's a time and a place with all of this, but it all comes back to one, what are the expectations? What are the results? How do we over communicate? Um, How do we deliver what we're saying we're gonna do? And then how do we offer like new, new ideas on like, what are we gonna do to push the needle like further than what we've done before? And like, it doesn't mean we're putting on, you know, ten different A/B tests and all these growth hacks. But no, let's structure it. Let's see what's working, and then let's figure out what we can do that's attainable. Um, because sometimes I do hear that like clients like to throw around like a lot of buzzwords, and it's like let's A/B test this, let's A/B test this, let's do this and that. I'm like, I've I've audited Calvio accounts that I'm I'm like it looks like a crazy person set up. I'm sure you've done the same thing. You go in there oh, yeah. and you're like, the yeah. automation, you're like, this person's either a genius or they're a psychopath because <laughs> the, it's like, yeah. there's no reason this should be that complicated. And it exactly. comes back to anything. If it looks complicated, it's probably not done right. Right. Yeah. the it's, it's Same with ads. Like if you go into yeah. an ad account and you, you know, Facebook ad account, Google ad account, it looks like this, like it looks like this mad scientist like built this out they they usually probably didn't build it out right and so i go back and i'm like you need to simplify things because one you need to be i need to be able to show you how things need to be built like say it's going to a welcome flow right if there's too much segmentation for the list size you're you're biting yourself you know and you're kicking yourself in the foot like If there's not enough for a larger account, there's missed opportunities. So sometimes people come to me and they're like, what's the ultimate flow for me? I'm like, what's the size of your list? How many unique visitors do you have a month? Where's your business at? And I can give you a better idea on what type of flow you need to build.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, It also
1: depends on the business. So you have a lot of international orders versus domestic then maybe you need to do some segmentation on the abandoned card end of things, right? Or the
0: location, even language.
1: Location. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So um, going back to your question, Daniel, like I think it's coming back to a lot of managing expectations and realize like we are partners on this together. You're hiring our company to help you get results. That mm-hmm. requires a level of respect on both of and one thing that I, that's really important to me is respect. And I refuse to work with anyone that will not respect me or my team. And I've had to tell people before, like, we can no longer work with you because you cannot follow the rules. And I think setting rules at the beginning of a relationship is super important because establishing rules six months down the road is very, very hard. But at the beginning, people understand this is how you communicate. This is how we get reviews. This is how
0: we build stuff. So how about you? How do you how do you do it? Um, yeah, I think I can really just, you know, repeat you. Um, yeah, like setting expectations is huge during the sales process when we uh, onboard the client uh, at the beginning. Just recently, our senior account manager came up with the idea that we could automate this. Uh, we could uh, shoot a video and one, when we onboard a new client, we just send a video and we um, use this video to set expectations. And in theory, it sounds amazing, but then another account manager came up with that um, this is a crucial part of uh, of a client relationship because at the beginning, we, we have to really set the expectations. And if somebody doesn't watch the video or even if they watch it, but not with full attention, then it will cause a lot of trouble to us. So we just for, forgot the idea of automating this part. We really need to have a call about ex- expectations to talk with the person, you know, one on one, um, face to face. Um, so yeah, it's a crucial part and also, when we work together with the client uh, later on every every week every month we should refer back to the original expectations or if we change them then really over communicate over communication is another big thing so yeah these are crucial actually we have a weekly call about this in the team where we just teach communication to the whole team uh, we awesome. our senior account manager he really likes this uh, area this is his hobby Um, he's, he's even a coach in this area as a side hustle. So it's, it's very important. Um, and yeah, so if we don't share the same uh, thinking, same way of thinking, that's, that's usually a problem. Um, but I think at this point we can screen it at the very beginning. You know, I don't remember a client the, from this year when we could we, we, when we stopped working together because of some communicational issues or not sharing the same values i think this year it's not a problem anymore uh, in the past it was but now we screen it very hard at the beginning i think it's 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 important um yeah so it's a, it's a big topic definitely and uh, it's also good that you mentioned complexity i could see uh, a, an email flow recently um, in Clavio. So if you are not a Clavio guy, maybe you won't really understand it, but I think Mark, you will, and a few listeners. So uh, when there is a flow filter, uh, let's say placed an order, and uh, there is five emails, let's say, and then uh, somebody opens the first two, and then this person buys after the first two emails, uh, then they they leave the flow automatically because of the flow filter. But this company, they didn't know about it and they created uh, splits after each email with a condition. So there were five emails and five splits and it was just a map like, you know. Exactly. You have to because it's possible to manage the results, see what actual
1: campaign is performing. Yeah, when there's too yeah. many conditional splits. Yeah. We run into that a lot too. And I like to say when you're starting off with automation, always make it a little more simple, feed yeah. the machine. And then yeah, over yeah. times tailor it and make it more complex. I feel like a lot of times when clients start to understand automation, they like want to engineer this massive like machine that's like going everywhere and like doing all these things. But you got to remember, like you want more people to get these emails, like. You know, we like to say like the like our flow emails like God outperform, you know, outperform performance on campaign emails so much more. I mean, it's uh-huh. just like those those flow emails are just so dialed in. When they're dialed in right, you know, your abandoned cart, post purchase, you know, browse abandonment, customer win back, you know, uh, you know welcome series, repeat purchase, thank you. Like when all of these flows are dialed in, like those those are your bread and butter. And then, you know, yeah. rely on campaigns to keep the list engaged and still drive revenue, but we're fighting for inbox space. You know, a lot of the times, like email is only getting more competitive. It is still the number one profit generating, you know, Similar yeah. to ads,
0: yeah. It's yeah. very similar to ads. You yeah. compete for attention in not in not on Facebook, not on Instagram, but in the inbox. Exactly. It's quite yep. And during Black Friday, uh, for Facebook, the CPM, CPA, the the prices go up. But uh, what happens for email? The open rates go down. It's it's something similar. There are more emails. People yeah. have the same amount of time, so they just open fewer emails. So. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And you know, what I tell
1: what I tell everyone when they're like, "How do I increase my open rate during the holidays?" What you're doing throughout the past ten months of the year is how you increase your open rates. Yeah, having yeah. good email deliverability, having an active, engaged audience. You know, not sending to your whole list. Having an active, engaged audience. Having good flows that are re-engaging with old people that bring them back in. Like doing all these things that are best practices having good subject lines like that are not going to get listed as spam there's a lot of things that are going to potentially put you into a specific element of someone's inbox and yeah. you have to follow the rules and you follow the rules and you create good content um your people are going to be happy they signed up for your email list for a reason right daniel it's like yeah. when someone signs up for an email list they didn't spam themselves they had intent they said yes i want to hear from this person treat your email list like a media channel like that's your own media it's called own media for a reason like give people relevant information on your audience and one of the things that you know i've been pushing and you know i I, we're kind of trying to productize for this next year is helping our clients build communities that are, you know, that that are relevant to their market. So if you sell surfboards, right, or wetsuits, you build build a community based around surfing, right? You sell off-road parts for Jeeps, you build a Jeep community, right? You have the ability to now use some of these platforms out there, like we use a platform called Circle.so that's actually built by the the whole team that the whole dev team that started teachable. And you can now start building a community and inviting people in. You can even take it a step further in charge mm-hmm. to be a part of the community. Right. Yeah, yeah, and now exactly. your acquisition plan can be like $20 a month to be a part of the community. You're going to get access to this, this, and this. And now being there, that could be your acquisition model is getting people in to join the community and then you sell them your products. But I think that's going to be a big one. Because when we look at that facilitation of like keeping people involved in an ecosystem, and by the way, I say ecosystem in using a platform off Facebook because you don't want Facebook to control your community. There's too many problems. I'm sure you've heard too, Daniel, like every single day I hear another friend who's got a client band that run ads, like their page got flagged their client's page got flagged, their their ad page got flagged. It's just like everyone's getting shut down and there's no reason why besides Facebook's, you know, Facebook is, you know, been a little sick in my opinion, when it comes to all of this, but getting, your getting that community, building it on another platform that you can own and then, you know, licensing the tech to run it and then facilitating that community. And now, if that can, if that platform has a mobile app, now you can run push notifications directly on there, right? Now you have their cell phone numbers, their phone numbers to interact with them. Like there's a lot of things you can do to make sure you're bringing people back in, right? So I think that's gonna be a big aspect to, to 2021 and 2022 when it comes to retention lifecycle.
0: life cycle. Yeah, quite interesting. And uh, you can uh, mix this, uh building community thing with e-commerce. Yeah. I, I think in the service business, like conglutants or, or or things build around some hobbies, even wine or soccer yeah. or football in the US or all of these things, you can build a community around it, but I cannot see too many e-commerce businesses doing it. And uh, maybe this could be a differentiator. Well, uh, I, think,
1: I think it all depends on what, you know, what type of product you have, right? Like your product has to have some some community that it's servicing or some audience that it's servicing. Yeah. And that audience has to be a passionate audience that can tie together, right? Yeah. Or just like there's a lot of products that have a really, really strong community based around it, right? Yeah. And there's ways to tie Definitely. that in. Me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because if you are, sorry, if you are Zara and you are s- selling, uh, you know, clothes to, the, to a huge audience, like a mass brand with, yeah. with a mass audience, it's hard. But usually those brands, they are not on Facebook or, or they are usually big brands. Uh, I think yeah. somebody in the seven figure, even eight figure range, um, they can definitely build, build an, a strong audience. They are usually niche uh, products and for niche audiences. Uh, I really like, in my experience, I really like hiking outdoor stuff. Uh, yeah. We have a client, we just posted a case study yesterday. I, saw, I we, read that, by the way, I saw that.
1: I saw you oh, posted really? it on LinkedIn, yeah. yeah. Oh,
0: amazing, amazing. Um, so we could grow their email uh, revenue from 30-something percent to 50%. I, I love that audience. Or pet products, baby products. Um, now we will work with a knife store. It sounds a bit strange, maybe at first, but n- knives uh, for for hunters and farmers. Oh, it's a big audience! Yeah,
1: very, Especially very big in the US. And it's tough to advertise on Facebook. So when you get people yeah. in, you want to keep them and facilitate that community, right? So I think think that's a great one. Yeah. And any type of gear or product with utility that has Uh a passion behind it, rock climbing, you know, a different action sports, this and that. Like, honestly, a lot of the smaller brands that are doing six, seven and low eight figures, those are passionate audiences with a good story. And those are brands with a soul. Like Zara doesn't have a soul. Macy's doesn't have a soul. Those are big companies. If you try to figure out who owns it, uh, there's shareholders around the world, rich people, private equity firms, like there's no soul behind those brands. But I'm sure I hope anyone that's listening to today or my clients, your clients, Daniel, like we're working with brands that have souls and like there's a story behind that. And there's an audience that's interested in being a part of that. So I think that's going to be a big trend is like what can we do to harness that and facilitate that? and and get feedback from those communities right and then yep. invite other people into the communities and see what we can do from now yeah
0: sounds very interesting and uh keep me and keep us updated mark about I'll uh, definitely definitely keep you
1: posted i'm i'm trying to pitch it as a pilot program right now to to a couple of our clients to just do it for free and uh-huh. see how it works set everything up and then i'll keep you posted maybe that's a future uh Podcast episode is yeah. going through yeah. the facilitation of building a community into your retention model um, yeah. for for brands. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, definitely. It sounds very interesting. Um, so I would have, I would have just one more question to you. So we are before Q one, and uh, yeah. I don't like Q one because Q four is very busy. Usually, we get great results. Q one is kind of boring. Actually, yeah. I would love to see. Q1 as the new Q4. I don't know if it will happen. Probably not. Uh, But um, I'm optimistic. So what do you think? What should e-commerce owners and and retention marketers do in the next few, two, three months, let's say? Yeah, I think I would be really focused on product releases
1: and Mm -hmm. new products in hyping up the release and getting people excited about it, giving good offers, right? Right. Like finding ways to bundle things. An offer doesn't always have to be 50% off, 40% off, dollar amount off. Yeah. Product, you know, bundle stuff. Give something away for free when you order across a certain amount. Like make shopping fun for people. Like just always doing the same thing will only take you so far. And, you know, it's funny. Sometimes I audit accounts or I'm working with clients who are like, but we do so well. I'm like, with just doing this, I'm like, that is still not a reason to do what you've been doing. Do you need to, you know, if there's, there's a massive opportunity there and, you know, at the end of the month, when you do your math, like when you're hiring a retention agency, either Daniel's Mm -hmm. agency, my agency, another one, and you look at how much our retainer is or our engagement fees are, plus the platform fees to use, you know, Klaviyo and, and Postscript, Post, all of these platforms and you combine that and then you look at the attribution from what we're generating um, and then you find that ratio and then you find out like what's the full return that we're getting off of it. Do the I same thing like. for your paid media agency. Take all your at media costs and take that same retainer and see what the full return is. And yeah. it will really open your eyes how much more profit you're making on the retention end of things. Yeah. So don't ever like think that this is something I think too many times too many brands are like retention email gets left to like the last thing people think about the night before, or it gets dropped to the intern or the lower level coordinator. And it's like, Oh, it's getting done. It's this, it's that we're we're generating revenue from it. That's where the hidden profit is within your e-commerce business it's yes. not within ads ads are important you need it it's on acquisition if you're an acquisition focused brand if you're trying to scale the seven eight figures yeah you have to spend a lot of money on ads but just remember when you go back into profit mode your profit is in your existing list that's what it comes down to.
0: yeah amazing I, I can just you know only agree with this i can see it uh, with with so many stores uh I think we, in the last few years, the, the situation got much better. Now business owners, they are more educated about the importance of email and retention, but we are still far from perfect. So, uh, and with Mark, we will, uh, educate everyone why it's important. That's our, uh, that's our goal. So yeah, um, next year, um, you will see us a lot <laughs> even yeah. more. Yeah, it's going to uh, be,
1: I mean, look at look at like iOS 14 updates. It's yeah. changing the game for how people are going to be able to run ads. And what's honestly going to happen is the, the the attribution model is just going to be more difficult. That's what it comes down. To. Yeah. It's going to be harder to attribute Google, Facebook, programmatic ads than ever before. Um, but at the same time like you can get upset about it or you can do what everyone else does, which is like this is us evolving right who knows we could get hit on email and something changes in the email inboxes something could change laws could change in the us for sms right things are always possible but at the end of the day like you own that information you own that relationship and that's one of the reasons that i always push like if you have the ability to sell on your own site, sell on your own site, not Amazon.
0: You know, exactly.
1: it's like, why would you? I read some clients that are like, we're driving traffic to Amazon. It's like, oh, so you're 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 investing your own money to get people to buy products on Amazon, and then Amazon takes a cut of it. Look at how profitable that is after they take their 20% and you have your ad costs. It's not very I'm, profitable.
0: I'm jealous of Jeff Bezos. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he, he yeah. did it. He did it. <laughs> but because but, uh, this, it's just amazing. And they just take their cut. And the business owner, the small business owner, they pay for the ads to drive traffic to Amazon. And they... Yep. They just take their cut. It's and just...
1: then what happens is when Amazon sees, oh my God, this small widget product is doing really, really well. Yeah. People yeah. love buying it. Hmm. Oh, <laughs> let's go make our own version of that, cut off all of their traffic and, yeah. and, and let's start selling our product. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's crazy. So, you know, I like to say like any small business owner, like start rethinking like what's going to build long-term equity in your business, like what's going to be worth something in the future? Because we're not all running a business to own it until the day we die. You know, yeah. we want to have an exit. That's how you build intrinsic personal wealth: is by selling a business, right? And there must be a lot of you too that are like just want to run it as a lifestyle. You know, which is the same thing. You know, yeah. you have to run a conservative business. Depending, it doesn't matter which which form you're in. And going back to your question too, I'm looking at like. Q1 overall, like Daniel, I think what's really important is just more planning and a little more testing and figuring out also what, what can you do to do a list, to grow lists. So running sweepstakes with other brands, right? Having the yeah. sweepstakes running at least one at a given time with different brand partners, rolling in new opportunities, you know, doing these things that are like not taking your foot off the gas pedal because it's january and it's a slow month like yeah. i know i have to work twice as hard in january because i want to be hitting revenue goals this month you know and it's not going to happen just through sending two campaigns a week i can tell you that yeah. it's going to require a lot of grit and work
0: and also uh, i think the best time for testing is the slower month because the yeah. risk is less so in january you can test a lot and before Q4, we tested in August, September a lot. So when November comes, Black Friday and Christmas, then uh, you already know what works for your audience. You don't want to test uh, or or not too much the big uh, sales events opener email on Black Friday. So so yeah, slow, mo- slow mounts are, are useful actually. Um, Mark, so thanks for... Uh, coming and, and sharing all of these with us. If anyone wants to find you where they can reach out to you.
1: Yeah, they can um, look at me. They can search me on Google. I'll probably show up. I'm one of the only Mark Militans that I found. Uh, but You can go to markmilletton.com, uh, markmilut ncom or bread, our, our agency website. That's webakebread.com. Bread Loaf is the name of the agency. Um, we have a couple different sites. We have a whole vertical just for our retention division called the retention labs. That's retention lab.com. So yeah, love to reach out. Um, and I love doing these things and sharing information. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, like I I like to always say, if I'm the right opportunity to work with somebody, it's great. If I'm not, I'm going to share the information on how you can do it on your own. And if, you know, if, uh, If you guys are interested in connect, um, let me know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, We will share these links in the description so everyone can find it easily. Um, Yeah. So thanks again for coming. And also thanks for, uh, thanks for, thanks for, or thanks for everyone. Yeah. uh, Who listened to us today. Um, Every Thursday, we are coming out with a new podcast episode. And we also have these live streams on uh, Facebook, usually one, two a week. So stay tuned Uh, next year uh we will come with more episodes and uh yeah i wish everyone a happy new year uh, thanks daniel
1: appreciate it happy new year everybody crush Thank it in you. q1 just remember don't take your foot off the gas pedal
0: exactly <laughs> hope you enjoyed this episode of the Ecom show podcast if you want to learn more about e-commerce retention marketing check out our facebook group called top 3% e-commerce email marketing or check out our website thebudaimedia.com. The show is brought to you by the team of Budai Media. See you in our next episode and don't forget our goal. Grow your e-commerce business together.